0: um, what is like the worst joke? Friends. Fucking young Sheldon. Friends. Oh uh, yeah, I haven't seen that though. I
1: Me neither, I just I just hear it's bad. Oh, I'm just jumping on the bandwagon and being, oh, Young Sheldon is terrible!
0: It might actually be better than Big Bang, since it's, at least it's not like a laugh track three camera sitcom.
1: Yeah, I... I did not like Big Bang Theory. I just found it
0: to be boring and poorly written, and um, maybe also poorly executed. Although it's so standard, I think it's it, it,
1: like it's just been executed. It's just like it's not. Uh, they didn't do a good job or a bad job. They just did a job.
0: They did their job.
1: They did the thing, made the money.
0: Yeah, and I think especially, like, you know, when you get around to, like, fucking season 13, 14. Those people are essentially just turning up, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the, the writer's room gets pretty tapped out by season 14.
0: Um, okay, I guess that does it for our regular episode of Beefin' with the Big Bang. Beef it up! We're gonna make some serious beef, guys. We're gonna get some heat off get of this real one with our beefy with it. Yeah, it's such a hot, hot take. A hot uh, slab
1: of beef. <laughs> um, God, <laughs> the beefiest uh, of episodes. Oh God! Okay, I, love...
0: I guess it's time. Ta- what? what, what yes. do you love, Fraser?
1: I love being positive. Though. I love being. Uh.
0: What a coincidence! Because this, right now, is B Positive, the Positive Movie Podcast.
1: Yeah. Well, did you say Positive Movie Podcast or Positive B Movie podcast?
0: Positive B Movie Podcast.
1: (laughs) Positive, positive B movie. Okay,
0: great. That's what I'm calling them now. Movies. Movies.
1: All right, you put as much effort into pronouncing the B movie, you know, that that mixture as people generally put into writing B movies.
0: So, yeah, I think it's appropriate. appropriate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh I'm Louie
0: and I'm Fraser.
1: No, well, what I wanted to, what I wanted to do, I'm Fraser of course. What I wanted to do was go like and this handsome gentleman sitting across from me but also, like a whole continent away is Louis. But then, while I thought that, I was like, "No, nah, that's too long." So I just went with, "I'm Louis." So I was like, "Wait." No, that's <laughs> <not right." laughs>
0: it's um, it's a lot like one of those moments in the film that we watched this week where uh, I don't know, they like lost some of the original film when they did the transfer. Uh, <laughs> so there are just that, like these random jump cuts in the middle of sentences.
1: Yeah. Uh, it is fantastic, and we are talking, of course, about the classic Frankenstein versus Space Squatch.
0: Yeah. Um, you know what, I've gotta tell you, I've, I've been stressed, I've been depressed. Oh no. But... Right now, you know, I'm sipping on a cool glass of water, I'm waiting for a pizza, I've got a lot to say about this movie. And most importantly, this is our 30th episode. Is this our 30th episode? Isn't it? Wasn't the last one? I Wait. Oh, my God. I got to check. Wait. Let me find our podcast on my podcatcher. Um, oh, We don't do we have episode numbers anymore? No. Oh, uh, that's fucking awkward right now. Was the <laughs> last one the 30th?
1: I think so. Uh... I, I do believe it was the 30th, or it was the
0: 29th. In that case, <laughs> this the special occasion this week is that it's our 31st episode! Bow bow bow! Bow bow bow! <laughs> Uh,
1: of course, it's not Frankenstein versus Space Squatch, because that would be an altogether better movie. This is Frankenstein meets the Space Monster.
0: Yeah, which kind of, the, uh, the, the decision they made there to go for meets uh, rather than versus makes it sound like they just kind of uh, happen upon each other in a Starbucks or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know Frankenstein. He's always rat a tat tap, typing away on that keyboard, trying to tr- write his uh, manuscript. And the Space Monster Man, he just wants that, uh, that mocha java with an extra shot of espresso. And, you know.
0: The rest is rom com history.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. Now we need to write that movie. Frankenstein oh, yeah. truly meets the Space Monster. <laughs> All right. So basically. What I find the best, best, best thing about this movie is that you neither have Frankenstein, the actual Frankenstein, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the actual Space Squatch
0: in this film. Is there an actual Space Squatch?
1: Yes, and I'll get into the actual interdimensional Sasquatch soon.
0: But first. Okay, I really look forward to that.
1: Let's just slip and slide deep into a plot phenomenon. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> that's that's a really great way to say those things.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So, uh, this film opens with some pretty cool semi-abstract-looking shots of space stuff, um, which later you realize these... The, a lot of this film uh, is made out of stock footage. So... These are definitely NASA stock footage uh, visuals we're getting. Yeah, NASA. Um,
1: Be real from the fake moon landing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> all the cut footage. <laughs> um, then we meet the Martians. Uh, they're a pasty-looking bunch. Um, and they're on a mission to. Find intelligent life and then kidnap that intelligent life.
1: But only the females.
0: Only the ones.
1: And they're led by Princess. Murder. Der- der- something with an M. Um,
0: Man- Z- Manzuka?
1: Makruski.
0: Manzukas. <laughs> <laughs> <Like> Jason- <laughs> Man- What's fast. up, dum dums?
1: Uh, yeah, she. Uh, is played by Marilyn Hanold, who was famous at some point.
0: Yeah, she was, um, I think, most famous for being kind of a vampy uh, pinup model in her day. Nice. Uh, yeah, so NASA keeps sending up rockets, and their rockets keep getting shot down, and they just don't get it. So they decide to send an astronaut up to take a look at what's been killing all their rockets. Um, (laughs) But of course, they don't want to sacrifice a human being for this mission. So they're sending Frank Saunders assembled from parts of people and parts of machines. Uh, He's going to be the one that we'll be calling, I guess, Frankenstein throughout this film.
1: Well, I, I at times had different names for him, but, um, yeah, it is funny that his name is Frank and that's the closest that we actually get to Frankenstein. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so they send him up, uh, but pretty predictably he gets shot down and he crashes, uh, somewhere in Puerto Rico. The aliens land as well to see what they just did, I guess. Um, And they kind of just zap him right in the old brain box with their zapper gun.
1: And they they melt like half his face off. And he's got this melty plastic Robocop cheek thing going on with like parts sticking out of his head. Mm. And the human half of his face is sort of locked in this eternal look of surprise.
0: Yeah, like s- surprise and confusion, like the bad kind of surprised.
1: Yeah, like not really sure why he crashed and also unsure of why this alien is now blasting him in the face with a ray gun. Yeah.
0: Um so he kind of that's then his uh transformation to a uh, Frankenstein. Um but he goes wandering around the island. Uh, and the Martians, in the meantime, decide that the Earth females would be the perfect breeding stock to to replenish their population after the Great Martian nuclear war. Yeah. They kidnap a girl from a beach. Uh, that's their first victim. And the scientists, Adam Steele and kate i just had her dr grant yeah kate grant so they finally find uh frank wandering the puerto rican wastes just
1: murdering people
0: yeah Uh, they also do like a little lovey-dovey couples montage thing yeah
1: they sort of arrive and then they they hire a little Vespa-looking thing, and then they just Mm. go for a romantic drive in the countryside for probably like a solid five minutes of the film.
0: Yeah, for the length of an entire song. Yeah. So, But anyway, while they're romancing it up, they find Frank and they manage to unscramble his brains enough so that he can at least follow their commands to a degree. Um, He's still pretty whacked out, still looks very not there yeah yeah then the aliens kidnap a bunch of women from a very swingin just the swinginest pool party yeah man and drag them to their UFO where they can begin the electro the, the purification yes Meanwhile Frank and the gang find the UFO. The military gets called in the gets kidnapped. All
1: of the jets.
0: All the jets, all the, all jets, the jet. all tanks, the infantry, the cavalry, the artillery. They're all there. The Nakes the are lined up. The Boy Scouts. The Girl Scouts.
1: The non specific
0: Yeah, the non binary scouts. <laughs> yeah. No, they call out literally everyone. The Navy, the sp- Space Force. Think about that, folks. The Space Force. Okay. Um, so anyway, they scramble the entire military and Kate and Frank are both in the ship. Kate is being tortured by being put near the space monster. Yeah, I um, believe his
1: name is Mole. Mole, the space Mole. monster. Space
0: Squatch. Yeah, that's actually a perfect description. He's kind of a matty haired bigfoot with a nasty bat face thing going on then frank regains his senses for not too long but long enough to take care of the monster to blast the princess and her advisor dr nadir as they take off on the ufo Doctor Grant safely back on the ground. The military not having to fire any nukes.
1: It's actually funny to me because the military spots the UFO and then just immediately starts ro- shooting rockets at it, trying to blow this thing up. But it's full of humans, right? And yeah. eventually, the scientist, uh, Doctor Steele, is like, "Man, there's a lot of women on that plane. You shouldn't be on, on that UFO. You shouldn't be blowing it up." And they're like, "Oh." Oh right, yeah.
0: It's a it's a small mercy that the UFO is immune to everything except news.
1: Yeah, convenient.
0: Yeah, and then Doctor Steele and Doctor Grant go on another kind of island hopping, <laughs> just taking a break, relaxing. The romantic
1: fistbutt drive. Uh, Frank and Weenie, or whatever the hell he is, he sacrifices himself in the final moment to take out Mole and the Martians by blowing up their ship from the inside with one of their laser guns.
0: And that's the whole film. It doesn't take very long. It's about 76 minutes. The perfect length for a film, guys. Yeah. yeah. I know
1: many big-time Hollywood directors are listening to the podcast, so just keep in mind, just keep the yeah. runtime time down. You know, maybe Honestly, yeah, a solid 10 minutes.
0: Guys, fuck, why do you want your Avengers movie to be two and a half hours long. You don't need that many kicks. Okay.
1: I, personally, I enjoyed the old two and a half hours of the Avengers. And I'm going to watch it again soon. But that's not what we're talking about. What about um, <laughs> My brain.
0: <Yeah>.
1: Sorry, <laughs> we spent like five
0: seconds talking about like a triple A movie. And I shorted out. Let's not ever do that again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so... Um, this movie is literally like 10 minutes of action and like 60 minutes of stock footage. Yeah, Just,
0: a lot um, of stock.
1: It's, and it, there's a real like poorly done post sub on it as well. So it kind of, it's like watching a foreign language film. So it brings me back to all the days of watching Giallo films, <laughs> but, <laughs> like dubbed English. It doesn't seem like they're saying what they're saying but they are there's a funny a funny moment right in the beginning where they sort of bring frank out
0: to this
1: what is it like a press conference
0: it's a press conference but there are only like five old ass journalists there
1: yeah it seems kind of rushed keep in mind nasa just had a rocket blow up and they don't know why they don't know it's being shot down they're like the solution is Another rocket.
0: With a person a in it. a
1: person inside. And that's going to be
0: A-O-Gay. Because if you put a person inside, he'll be able to see what's going on. He'll be able to tell you. The rocket yeah. ship can't tell you what's going on. It makes perfect sense.
1: Person might die, but, you know, at least he saw what, what's up. Uh, but then he sort of, he's talking to the press and he's very charming. And he just, like, he does this really big smile. And then I was like, dude, you have too many teeth. You're kind of freaking me out right now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he does this massive smile and he gets stuck. And then they sort of hurry him away. And, you know, the the NASA guys are making uh, excuses, as they always are. They take Frank out of this room and take him to sort of this operating room. But at this point, it's not Frank anymore. His face has changed. It's now clearly a paper mache mask. And what I want to know <laughs> is, where did they get the Obama mouse? Because that <laughs> looks very much like Obama. And they like, God, load him up onto the table, that. and they're sort of operating on his brain. And it's literally just like a switch inside his head. So, like, They yeah. just have to switch it, and he unfreezes, and every, everyone's happy. At this point, I made a note to say, Dr. Steele is truly a modern Prometheus. <laughs>
0: That's a good one so what what was really interesting to me there is they're talking about this whole idea of sending an Android into space, and they say you know it's you know it's better than losing the life of a of a human being, but my question here then becomes what exactly do they think constitutes a living human being because this man is mostly made out of meat parts
1: yeah yeah he's
0: mainly meat. he's you know he might be kind of a salvage operation but he's mostly meat with a semi electronic brain so do they draw the dividing line between human and non-human right at like as soon as there's anything robotic in you you're no longer a human we don't have to care about your life
1: yes hearing
0: aid? Sorry, Get out of we're here. sending you to
1: space. We're literally blasting you up in a rocket that I mean, the identical rocket to this one just blew up, but you'll be fine. <laughs> um, Yeah, it is actually it's, it's funny and it is going to become more of an issue as modern society progresses and we start getting honest to Bob androids and like part human part machine creatures and at that point I feel like the distinction will be very clear, uh, but then it's going to blur some more distinctions along the line of where where do humans draw the line of consciousness or sentience? Because back in the day, in the 60s, clearly it was like, if you were born, you're a human. If your meat stopped working, you're dead. You're no longer human. We bring you back. You're just
0: still not.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Still not human because you didn't grow inside of another human like a parasitic creature uh, and then you know came out <laughs> and then further leached like a parasitic creature yeah. for what at that point 5 years before you got married i don't know how old people got married at in the 60s <laughs> but i assumed it was like a 5 6 around there
0: right uh, yeah i think so
1: yeah so i think the distinction between human and android at that point was very clear but now in a, looking at this from a modern perspective It's not exactly as clear anymore because we've got people with pacemakers. I think they've invented like a robotic pancreas. We're quickly replacing organs with artificial organs. It's becoming like everybody's Frank. And I mean,
0: even in Frank's case, so he's made out of other people's dead organs, but he's been animated and he is an individual, separate from the world, alive. ish. Yes. I mean but he does
1: like he, he clearly shows um, and I think this is where the, the writers sort of missed an opportunity, because or perfect opportunity and was left specifically vague so that I could find it, uh, you know, seven sixty, I don't know how, 50 years later, whatever. At the end, Frank makes the choice to sacrifice himself for the good of the human race, which. That's really giving the humans a lot of credit, because up to this point, they've not been great. Not been super chilled.
0: Yeah, don't know if they really deserve a second chance. Yeah. So what, does he, like, he redeems his humanity by sacrificing not he himself? He redeems but his
1: humanity, but he, he uh, shows independent thought. <laughs> Today's episode, sponsored by... Pure, directionless anxiety. Feel like there's something seriously important that you forgot, or that there is something else you should be doing, but you forgot nothing, and you've completed all chores, assignments, or work that you had? Well, then you're already subscribed! Cling desperately to that feeling for 20% off of your next panic attack, or you could just be positive. At this point in the movie frankenfurter he shows signs of independent thought because he's still semi-controlled by dr Steele, but he is showing signs that he is uh for lack of a better word showing signs of a soul where he is seeking redemption he's showing a sense of individuality and taking agency
0: yeah right sure i can totally see that but I didn't see that in the film, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it didn't, it still felt to me like he was kind of blindly stumbling into shooting Dr. Nadir and and Princess Mubarak or whatever her name is. But I agree that that might be what they're doing, but I didn't feel anything for him, like, yeah, I didn't feel as though he were some tragic hero.
1: Oh no, he's an awful, awful character. I mean, he, uh, at one point, while
0: he's wandering,
1: Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico?
0: Puerto, Puerto... Puerto Rico, the colonial holding of America, the imperialist Yankee American, clutches around Puerto Rico. Uh, uh
1: he's sort of wandering around Puerto Rico and he runs into this couple they're they're going for a drive and the man sort of gets out the car he's like, "Oh my god, what's wrong with your face? You're, you're such a super freak." <laughs> and um Frank goes straight in for the kill, snaps the dude's neck and then yeah tries to get into the car with the woman and she's like, Oh my god, please get out the car, what you doing? Why you why you have to slip up on me like Where that?
0: Where are you doing that? No, but she actually doesn't say anything. She just like she just screams. She just Yeah, screams.
1: which is probably like a very accurate representation of how someone would react if their significant other is murdered by like this half melted G.I. Joe figure.
0: Joe. Ah, oh, yes. Who's
1: like... Freaking out. He's got... You know what it looks like? It looks like from the one side, he was killed by um, the monster from The Ring. And on the yeah. other side, he was turned into like a Lovecraftian horror.
0: Yeah. It's like he fell asleep next to the fireplace. Um, yeah. And he's made of plastic. What I want to introduce into this conversation... I think what is most interesting to me is the idea of Orientalism. I don't know if you've uh, heard of that before.
1: Yes. throw back to cat people.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's essentially, you know, a, a flavor of racism, especially targeted towards uh, the East, which also, you know, includes the Middle East, Sometimes the Balkan states, like Romans would call Greece, the East. But anyway, this is a kind of a view of the world in which I'm kind of repeating, I'm sure what I said on Cat People, but you don't have to go back and listen to that. But do Yeah. So it's it's a worldview in which the West is set up as inherently superior to the East because the West is seen as rational, scientific, masculine, uh, progressive, hygienic, all of those kinds of ideas around the West, and then the East, in contrast, is seen as a place of barbarism, primitivism, mysticism, and it also paints the East as kind of feminized and weak as well. So, we obviously don't have any Oriental characters in this film, but I think it's pretty clear that the Martians in this film are like these quite hackneyed Orientalist stereotypes. Like, while the Martians are clearly more technologically advanced, advanced than the Earth people, they've, you know, really nailed space travel... The princess is kind of in this weird Cleopatra getup, sort of yeah. ancient Egypt, ancient Persian look. And her advisor, Dr. Nadir, is wearing uh, black robes. He almost looks like a budget version of one of the wizards from uh, Game of Thrones on... The, what's the... what's The, the um, Maithers or the, yeah. the Magi? No, no, not... You know, in the in the eastern continent, what do they call it? Easteros? <laughs> I'm sure it's not that.
1: <laughs> um what do they call it? It's like uh Ethos or somewhere. Yeah it is Ethos Magi. Yeah.
0: yeah, those guys. Um which, by the way, those those depictions are also super racist. Yeah. Uh, hmm. But so these uh Martians are definitely painted using this orientalist lens they have these rituals of purification um, they seem to have some kind of magic about them and i think it's it's clear that they're being deployed as a sort of red scare stereotype
1: everyone in this film is white but yeah the martians are more white than anyone else, except for the queen. She's just like a regular human-looking person. But all of her servants, all the the foot soldiers or whatever, yeah. they're all male. Uh, they're bald. They've got like a balloon over their head, and they're wearing these old, these big old Spock ears. Uh, or mm-hmm. you know, Spock is wearing big old Martian ears, depending on. Yeah, you yeah, know, it is. There, I I know what you're saying. There is something very oriental about their costumes. It's very like uh it's it's classic um well like that, that movie Flash Gordon where he's got mm. the villain and it's this basically this Chinese wizard looking guy. He's got that outfit yeah. on uh and it's always the flowing robes and maybe like a chest piece on the robes with like yeah. jewels. Uh Doctor Nadir or the goblin that couldn't, he, <laughs> he definitely like fits that description. And they they do talk, ooh, I am so mystical and I am a stranger here. They they talk like that. And yeah. that's like a classic Orientalist thing.
0: Yeah, totally. And you know, as you say, they're like pasty looking. They're they look kind of really sickly and pale. You know, as Bravo. opposed to the really good Americans who are wonderfully built, got a nice tan going on and, hair. Yeah, exactly. Hair at all as opposed to the Martians. And yeah, as you're saying, Dr. Nadir has this really camp kind of execution. He mm. he's there's also some kind of, you know, effeminizing or homophobic kind of stereotypes laid into his character as well yeah and you know the american women are these beautiful but helpless uh young things whereas the only martian woman left the princess is this kind of gothy uh evil vampire matriarch
1: yeah which you know that's
0: more my thing oh yeah definitely matriarch me please
1: (laughs) so uh, Dr. Nadir is played by Lou Cuttle? Cuttle? Cutel? I don't know, whatever. Cuttle? Um, Cuttle. Oh, That changes the whole thing. Um, but I do, even though he is uh, played in this effeminate way, and there is this potentially, like, proto-homophobia, because I don't think in the 60s homophobia had really been defined to the point I mean, it existed, but, you know, it hasn't hadn't at that point gotten to be uh, important in the public discourse yet. Sure. But there is this like vaguely effeminate vibe about him. But he does have really convincing pervy eyes. Whenever they're bringing in the Mm. kidnapped woman, uh, man, all of those aliens are dudes. Except for the princess. And all of those dudes have like these predatory looks in their eyes. And they're sort of like, they're really checking out the actresses. And it made me feel like, I mean, okay, they're stealing women for procreation. So I understand that that could have been a choice by the actors and the director to have that predatory look and to be very convincingly creepy. But I also feel like that's just the way that those actors look at women.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think, yeah, what, what is most interesting about this film to me is the, how it reproduces these sexist tropes seemingly without being aware of it at all, yeah. even a little bit. Like, just the way women are treated, even the American women, by the Americans, is insane. Like, they are so patronized to, and their characters are written so poorly that they, like, most of the female acting in this film is just screaming. And it's not helpful. And our female lead, uh, Dr. Grant, can't accomplish anything by herself. And Adam Steele has to, like, all the time, he has to be like, no, no, dear, this is how it works. Oh, you poor thing.
1: Another interesting little thing, how you said they produced these, these uh, sexist tropes without thinking about it, I think that's just because they were portraying their own culture, honestly, at, at that time. Yeah. Especially in something as traditionally masculine as the military, but... Uh, something that was quite funny to me is that Dr. Steele has no emotion uh, when it comes to uh, Frank and Weenie. He's not, yeah. he doesn't feel at all the He doesn't give a shit. Sending him up.
0: Yeah, as a good Western white man, he's very, he's rational, he's scientific, he knows emotions are only going to get in the way of this mission. I'm an enlightened man. I know that this is just a robot that I built with my American hands in my Ford pickup truck. But then Dr. Grant, on the other hand.
1: Yeah, she actually shows empathy, like what I assume is a normal human characteristic. That's actually what makes someone human, in my opinion, is empathy. That's going to be the dividing line uh, in a few years' time when we have AIs like wandering in the internet and like robots wandering our streets. The dividing line between a sentient creature and like quasi-sentience is gonna be empathy.
0: Yeah. Um I agree with that. And and Karen's her emotional reaction to what's happened to Frank is portrayed as like she's just she's just a woman. You know, she's got all these emotions And all these stupid feelings.
1: She's probably hysterical.
0: She is. And, oh, that annoys me. Anyway, that kind of dichotomy runs throughout the film. There is one person of color in this film. One Puerto Rican gentleman in this film set and filmed in Puerto Rico. And that's a guy at, like, a coffee shop. And he's not even mic'd up. He's literally not... Even recorded, you can hear his sound is picking up on the main on Steele's mic, God. and he goes and he asks Steele asks the guy, "Do you have a telephone?" And then the Puerto Rican tries to sell him cigarettes, and then once Adam Steele goes telefono el telefono, uh, then the Puerto rican's is like, "Oh, see, si, see, si, telefono," like, "Oh, my actual." What? Uh,
1: Yeah, I I blocked that shit out because that was just so... And it was just a clearly racist interaction. And, you know, here in China, I see a lot of that because the Chinese think that we're stupid because we can't speak Chinese. And, you know, the foreigners think the Chinese are stupid because they can't speak English. So, communicating... There are things that you assume everyone knows, like telephone or cigarettes or whatever. But... Even if you're saying a word in the, the target language that you're trying to convey, the person may not understand what you're saying purely on the level of they're not expecting you to speak words that they understand. Yeah. So this, this Puerto Rican man, maybe, you know, this is me justifying, but maybe he heard telephone, but he didn't register that it's, this person is going to use words that I understand. Because this is yeah. like an irate American dickhole. Not that all Americans are bad. I'm just saying this one is a dickhole.
0: I mean, most Americans
1: are bad. Uh, I <laughs> do not endorse that message. That's that's not... Uh, I, I actually know many Americans, and they are
0: wonderful people. No, I also know some really nice Americans.
1: But what I'm saying is that sometimes when you're expecting not to understand, you just don't understand. So maybe this guy just literally needed the help you know go into uh Spanish or Portuguese or whatever it is just to make it sound a little bit more like something he would understand or maybe he was gonna fuck with steel anyway but he was just like oh this guy clearly a dick yeah
0: I think that would be the subversive read is that the Puerto Rican is is kind of having fun but you know the thing is the like I think it's just written in a really racist way
1: (laughs) Yeah, I always try and I, I try and justify things within the universe of the movie to make yeah. it acceptable for myself because I actually had so much fun watching this movie.
0: No, like it yeah, made same. me Feel like
1: a kid again. Like it, I, I felt like a kid watching like some shitty sci-fi movie and having the time of my life.
0: Yeah, no, I, um, my excitement was more the the post-colonial scholar in me, being like, oh my god, it's so obvious. <laughs> Um,
1: I feel like this is a fantastic time for me to tell you about Space Squatch.
0: Yeah, please. I want to hear more about the Space Squatch guy.
1: So you know Sasquatch? I've heard of him. Bigfoot.
0: I know of him.
1: You've seen his his feet?
0: I've I've seen his work.
1: (laughs) Now you've heard about him from space. So there's this theory that the reason why uh, researchers don't find Sasquatch bodies and their, you know, leavings and whatever, is because Sasquatch is, in fact, an alien. hmm Mm-hmm. And there is anecdotal evidence, like all evidence of this kind is always anecdotal, but there's anecdotal evidence to show that there is at least a correlation between UFO sightings and Sasquatch sightings, where people have seen UFOs go down into the woods, they go into the woods, and they see the goddamn Sasquatch. And it's like, standing there, it's like, oh shit, what up? I, I'm a Sasquatch. And then they're like, oh my god, that's really terrifying. And run away.
0: That's all the evidence I need. I'm convinced. I believe it.
1: Yeah, you should, because I'm, I that's clearly am true. a credible storyteller. There's also another theory that Sasquatch is an interdimensional being who has the innate ability to step between the dimensions of reality, and that's how they get in and out of our reality and sort of mess He's a
0: planeswalker.
1: Yes. Uh, another part of the theory is that uh, Sasquatch is an animal native to some other world, in some related world to Earth, where they also have apes and you know the similar evolutionary pattern to humans. But uh, it's sort of just left; it's an abandoned pet or something like someone left Sasquatch here.
0: Oh, that's sad.
1: Yeah. So there, there's a theory that it's it's either the pilot of a UFO that you see and it looks like Sasquatch, or they dumped some poor creature on this planet.
0: Well, I I think after watching this movie, it's pretty clear that his name is Mull, thank you very much, and he arrived in Puerto Rico about 50 years ago, Uh 60 years ago.
1: It's strange then how uh, there are tales of Sasquatch going back hundreds of years. Maybe, uh... Mull had a grandfather.
0: Mole's great great grandpappy, the mountains of Alabama. In the
1: Appalachian Trail. <laughs> I mean, that was just a bit of fun. But I want to talk about the references to Greek mythology. And there are quite a few. Mm. The first being, obviously, Prometheus, where Prometheus has become this modern symbol of striving for advancement and knowledge and sort of creating an abomination because of it so that's i mean that's why frankenstein by mary shelley you know has the subtitle a modern day prometheus
0: yeah the idea of going against the gods against uh, superstition to create progress human progress
1: uh and that's how we get frankenstein's monster that's how we get frankenstein in this movie
0: they did make one mention of frankenstein in the film yeah when they realize that frank's circuits are fried dr karen says it's almost like he's a frankenstein and karen has clearly not read frankenstein yet because frankenstein is about some insentient meat gaining humanity and yes. trying to show people his deep inner feelings by writing some poetry. This Frank is, starts ascension and becomes- Weird. Gets a little weird. He becomes like a zombie, essentially.
1: Pretty much a zombie, but with like robo hands. He's got them neck snapping pinces.
0: Yeah, got that. <laughs> and he's just gonna strangle anyone. Yeah, so he's, he's more like the opposite of Frankenstein. Yeah, he's
1: reversed Frankenstein. But also, I mean, Frankenstein, that's referring to the Doctor. Because Frankenstein's monster is in no way a modern Prometheus.
0: We actually got, I think, almost an hour into this episode without mentioning that. I'm very proud of us. Yeah,
1: This film was also released as, in the UK, it had the alternate title of The Spaceman Meets the Space Monster or something like that. But it said nothing about Frankenstein. There's also the alternate title, uh, Mars Attacks Puerto Rico and uh, Mars Invades Puerto Rico, which is funny uh, because it's kind of cute because Mars Attacks later on became a big smash hit. Yeah. So we have, we have the reference to Prometheus. And then we have a reference to Icarus. Yeah. Where they, they shoot Frank into the sky. He, gets, he flies too close to the sun. And you know what happens? They blow him up.
0: He loses his wings.
1: I don't know if Icarus is, is like a a warning. The story of Icarus is a warning to people not to strive too high and to reach too far. Or kind of just a tragic tale of the innate human drive to go beyond. There are always people who go beyond the next horizon. Yeah, right? And that's how we get... And to the pay the price science. for it. Yeah. And I mean, the first one always dies, right? That's... Like Laika.
0: R.I.P. Lyka. Who's Laika? Laika's the dog the Russians shun. Space dog. Space dog! Oh, She was a good girl. It's worse than Harambe.
1: Oh, no, I'm sad. You've broken my heart.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so Frankie Boy is definitely a kind of Icarus situation.
1: Yeah, if Icarus were made by Prometheus.
0: Yeah, if Prometheus had made Icarus, and if the sun were a ufo and if his
1: wings
0: (laughs) there's a ah there's a brand new breakthrough in flat earth theory yeah which i love and that is that the flat earth is on a sphere what so Uh, it's...
1: (laughs) it's like a plate on a ball
0: yeah so if we all
1: run to one side, we'll tip the plate off the ball.
0: No, 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 no. So it's like it, it it's a sphere, but the top is like pressed flat. Um, and that's the earth. And the rest of the sphere is just ice.
1: So it's kind of like a balloon pressing up against the window. Yes. That is incredidum.
0: <laughs> it is. It really is. Let's talk about the military patriotism. That we see more towards the end of the film.
1: It is full-on American military propaganda. Remember, this is taking place... Man, the Cold War has just kicked off. And they're, like, ready to blow each other up.
0: Oh, yeah. I think, you know, they might have... Because they use a lot of stock footage. A lot of army stock footage. So there might be some kind of deal that they struck there to, like... Okay, fine, you can use our footage... But you also have to show us in in this kind of way. Yeah. So you get the the triumphal orchestral music and all the soldiers, very good and brave, run, scrambling the jets. All of the jets. It's hilarious. They like uh, they scramble the jets and they all get into like it looks like they drive hearses.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, like their cars look like hearses, which is appropriate for the American military. They drive to their jets in their hearses. And so the entire military congregates around this UFO and they're one step away from nuking the crap out of it.
1: They do seem trigger happy and really ready for a fight. Just a good old fashioned dust up. Yeah. The colonel literally calls a general or something um, and he's like, it's code 24 which to me just implies that they're not very prepared for many situations. Mm. They got to aliens on their 24th scenario. So <laughs> this is like I don't know what they're planning for.
0: Plans 1 to 23 were just like bomb Russia.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is awful, but do you you know that uh there is a specific branch of the US military that liaises with uh Hollywood filmmakers. Yeah. They keep the budget of war movies down by they provide the vehicles and the airplane yeah. and the footage and whatever that the movie needs at a highly discounted price if the movie does or the writers promise to paint them in a light um, the Pentagon has greenlit. And they also work on developing narratives for blockbuster films that sort of paint. American, the American military in a positive light. It was just funny to me that you brought that up and that we also brought up aliens in the same episode because as we all know, they, they're hiding something.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you're staring really creepily at me right now. The the folks at home can't see it. It's just for me.
1: (laughs) That's what happens when I talk about aliens.
0: But this movie, I think, is clearly a piece of Cold War propaganda. The Martians meant to stand in for the Russians and the fear of a red east was also really kicking off. Well, they were just afraid
1: of red anything,
0: really. Sure.
1: I mean, you could wave a red herring in their face and they'd be like, oh my
0: God. put that herring under arrest. Interrogate that herring. Where are the labor union leaders? Herring, where are the anarchists? Where are they hiding? And the herring's just like,
1: I'm a fish! Ba,
0: ba, 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 ba.
1: Last thing that I want to say is that uh, Dr. Steele calls Frank and Weenie a robot, which is my favorite pronunciation of the word robot. Robot. As we all know, the word robot uh, literally translates to slave, So uh, Frank is Dr. Steele's slave. That brings me back to what I said earlier, and I'm going to twist it up for you, where Mm -hmm. Frank makes the choice to sacrifice himself. But perhaps Dr. Steele programmed him to blow up the ship in midair because Dr. Grant was becoming very emotionally attached to Frank. Mm. And Steele may see this as a threat to his potential romantic prospects with Grant. So it could literally be an allegory for a master killing his slave because, you know, the woman he was interested showed some kindness or interest in that slave. And potentially would then be able to, in big, swishy bunny rabbit ears, steal his woman
0: yeah and clearly this a lot of this film is based on the fear of your woman or your women being stolen
1: yeah and they i mean they scramble real quick as soon as they tell the, the general like dude they're here to steal the they're, ladies and they're coming like, oh for my the God. bikini
0: babes and the uh, scramble all the jets just scramble all the jets
1: where's my tag?
0: no i i absolutely agree there's also a way in which Frank, at the end, even though he's saving everyone, he's still an abomination. He's yeah
1: there's no redemption for Frank.
0: Yeah, exactly he cannot be allowed to re-enter the rational clinical world that he he once occupied you know
1: yeah Also I mean they're sending him to Mars in the, the mission that gets him entangled and all this nonsense. Uh, they're sending him to Mars on a rocket. And in the 60s, the rocket would have no way of returning to Earth. He's not going to refuel it. He doesn't have all the technicians to rebuild the rocket. This is a one-way journey. He was intended to die from the beginning. He was intended to be blasted off to some rock in space and die there, all in the name of advancement.
0: Yeah, that's actually quite powerful.
1: And on that note...
0: Uh, There's one last thing I want to mention. The song that we hear two times while they're cruising around the island called To Have and To Hold, Yeah. written and performed by the great surf rock band The Distant Cousins. I don't know what that says. They're kissing cousins. But I think it's funny. (laughs) That's what it says. They're touching cousins. Yeah, and they're saying, it's okay, we're very distant.
1: That's fantastic. And I feel... The most '60s band name you could have. Yep. I want to take us through some of the some of the, the classic sci-fi one-liners they threw, da- threw out at us. The aliens at one point, uh, Doctor Nadir says, "Our anti-radar field is at full force," which I've never heard in in anything else ever. Uh, what does he?
0: He must have this written down. What does he say when he's he wants to like launch or you know use the weapon? the the big uh, laser, it's something like set set to point nine zero degrees distance seven hundred, but they never say seven hundred what seven hundred what
1: uh yeah it could be miles could be anything I actually missed that one I just ex- I put a lot of exclamation marks in my notes because I get so excited so <laughs> it's hard to see what's a what's a quote and what uh you know what's just me freaking out
0: uh there's a great quote from Our good, good friend, Dr. Adam Steele, while Karen is kind of showing care towards... Oh, Karen, I get it. Oh, she be Karen. She's tending to Frankie Boy's wounds, and then good, good Dr. Steele says, remember he's a robot, not a man, Karen. Just like shitting on her for having feelings.
1: That Brings me to another thing I want to say is that the kidnapped women seem very cooperative with the march. Yeah, they're pervy and they're weird, but maybe they're offering a better deal. Maybe they're not, not as bad as, as the men they're leaving behind. Uh, or they offer good dental. Who knows?
0: When they kind of you know paraded those women past uh, the princess and she's like culling them or whatever she's doing. She's
1: she's swiping left or right basically. Yeah,
0: essentially. I became really suddenly just really curious about those actresses' lives. I don't know. It was a weird moment where I just wondered like, oh, f- where where did they hang out? What what kind of lives did these actresses lead? Because no. obviously that day on set was like you know a couple of hours just walk past this person in your bikini. And I was just really curious about kind of who these who these women are because they're obviously not credited.
1: Yeah, of course not. Why would you credit uh, extras?
0: Yeah, I felt suddenly like I had this bizarre glimpse into the past um, that I couldn't see quite clearly. Strange experience. That is how movies work. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Louis, I would like you to rate Frankenstein meets the space monster out of 1 to 100 jets being scrambled.
0: Um, I would scramble... Mm, I would either scramble zero jets or all of yes. the jets.
1: Okay. Uh, That's I my like rating. You're either... uh The glass is half full or I've gotten into the glass and now it is Please help school. me. <laughs> Please help me. I am stuck in the glass. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, on IMDb, IMDB, it got a 3.4, which is not very good. No. Uh, I think it's got I, a
0: half on Rotten
1: Tomatoes. I mean, that is <laughs> an achievement. I would give it just for, just for the unlikelihood of seeing an Obama mask in a 1965 movie, mm. which kind of goes to Obama being an immortal reptile.
0: They're all immortal reptiles.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I would scramble half of the jets because I feel like...
0: And the fry jets, the other half.
1: <laughs> yeah, all of the jets in one place, there would be some mid-air collisions. There's too many jets, mm. and they're flying, like, beyond the speed of sound. People can't react that quick, and yeah, it just... Gonna lose a lot of good pilots if I scramble all the jets at this movie.
0: Maybe you could do like a nice uh, jets, ben- uh, a jets Benedict. Get mm. some Hollandaise sauce on those jets.
1: Or you reminded me of my, literally my favorite breakfast food that I've not had in more than a year. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> my heart, it breaks. Next time on Be Positive.
0: Here it comes. What is
1: it? We have some classic HP Lovecraft in the form of from beyond
0: is it actually hp lovecraft or is it Lovecraft? hp
1: lovecraft's from beyond uh, really.
0: dope. okay we're getting yeah, into it i
1: am so excited i can't even contain myself i had so much <laughs> yalo for a while and it you know yalo's great and everything but i miss me some lovecraft body yeah. horror and just some really yeah Freaky tentacles and shit just touching your face. These are
0: nasty. Face face. Oh, it is so nasty. Oh, oh it's so shit. nasty.
1: And then it's all slimy and it's glinty. <laughs> mmm. Makes me hungry. <laughs> I'm losing we're my mind. And that's the point. Okay, no. But you can find us on Facebook. We're at Stay Scary or Be Positive The Podcast on Facebook. We're at Stay Scary on the Twitter. Uh, I'm Fraser Chuan G on Instagram.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm Louie, just in general.
1: Yeah, yeah, Louis Louis unavailable. Uh, no, you
0: know what, you can follow me on Instagram if you want, uh, at Louis Rue. You can follow me on Instagram.
1: Yeah, you've been writing some, um, trompy fanfic, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. I've been, it's...
1: I've been reading that. With, Thank with, with, you. With great pleasure.
0: It's, it's like the most creatively fulfilling thing I have in my life right now. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, as always, you stay scary.
0: Racism is spooky. It truly is spooky. I feel
1: like it can't be overstated that racism is. Spooky no. Thing. Seriously. But yeah, it also kind of makes spookiness sound bad. Really. And I believe I am a spooky person, but not a racist. I'm a
0: <laughs> just to get that on the record. Spooky. Yeah, yeah. I just, I
1: feel like every time someone says they're not racist,